Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in fabulous Las Vegas, at the beautiful, opulent, exquisite Rio All Suites <laughs> Hotel and Casino. Uh, this from what is rumored to be the last year uh, that the WSOP will be held here, and I'm not alone. I am in the hotel room of a TPE legend, one of our biggest all-time success stories, bracelet winner, Carlos Welch. Carlos, how are you? I'm good, man. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me up to your room. Uh, this is nice, you know? I mean, I heard you when we talked uh, a while back um, over Skype, and you were telling me, you know, you like your digs at the Rio. This, this isn't bad at all. Yeah, it's not bad. At the time we were having that conversation, I was in a Super 8 at Barstow. <laughs> so this is a major uh, major upgrade from that location. You got your Wyndham Hotel points <laughs> and you got your diamond card so you don't have to pay the resort fees anymore. Go back and listen to that last episode. I don't know what that was. Maybe like in June or July. May, when May. We t- yeah. Oh, it was in May. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, back in May we spoke with Carlos and he was giving you guys some, some NITCAST approved tips on how to save money on the resort fees here in Vegas, which are exorbitant, to say the least. Yes, I had to go through purg- purgatory to get to heaven. So now, <laughs> so now I'm here, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> so Super 8, and then you won your bracelet, and now uh, you're moving on up to the Rio. So uh, no one here can get used to saying uh, any word other than summer, so I'm not even going to try anymore. Yeah, yeah. H- how's your summer going so far? Great. Um, I played two live events. Uh, I played the 1K sh- um, shootout, 1K freeze out, and then also the 500 freeze out. Made it to right after dinner break in both. And um, uh, I say great because I've only lost 1,500. Uh, most people I know are down much more than that. Um, I didn't really enjoy the tournaments as much because I mean but people know I don't really like live poker anyway but just all the stuff I've you know had opportunity to do outside of playing has made the summer great um hanging out with my friends um here in the room um they're playing the senior event right now and so getting a chance to rail them when they um go deep uh, my roommate um made day two of the senior event at the win yesterday. So got a chance to rail a little bit of that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got a chance to rail um, Jeff Platt last night at his final table. Um, railed uh, Scott Ball at his um, 5K 6 Max bracelet win. So I'm enjoying this summer more so as a poker buddy than I am a player. And I prefer that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you got your bracelet already. Yeah, now it's yeah. time to <laughs> root for your friends. I want to be clear. We're recording this on October 27th, which is a Wednesday in the fall. But because we're at the Rio and we're playing World Series of Poker, everyone keeps slipping and saying, how's your summer going? How's your summer? So I've just decided to embrace it. It's an extended summer. That's a good idea. Yeah. And, and we'll be doing it again in a couple of months. I know. I know. Yeah. Next year's World Series, uh, allegedly uh, rumored to be beginning like at the end of May, like it always yeah. did in the past. So 
Uh, and uh, from what I hear, it's going to be at my favorite place, Bally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So make sure you uh, uh, double check your doors, guys. Yeah. Uh, make, sure, make sure you lock them twice. Maybe bring a padlock with you. If you yeah, need to. a police lock or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take extra precautions. I mean, I think I'm, I might play it at Bally's, but I'm sure I'll never stay there again. Yeah, yeah. I'm not looking forward to being on the strip, to be honest. Um, just even dealing with the wind. Um, there was a decent amount of um, there's like construction mm-hmm. at like weird like primetime hours. Like, why would you do construction on the Las Vegas Strip? You know, at like six p.m. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, and I don't have a good answer. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just dreading more experiences like that next year when every event is on the Strip. So I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah. So if the WSOP is at Bally's and then, of course, uh, across the street at Aria, they're sure to have something going on. Venetian and when like all of us are going to be on the strip full time, it's going to be uh, you won't be able to get away from the poker players unless you come back over here to the Rio where there will be basically nothing happening at all. Yeah, I'll probably be staying here <laughs> <laughs> in your all sweet sweet. Yes, yeah. Yes. Now, I want to I want to give you a, a shout out because I, I think I got some Carlos run good. I ran into you on my way to uh, play day one of the $1,500 shootout bracelet event. And I saw you with two of your friends and you introduced me to some of your some of your friends. And I said, uh, you asked me if I have any caches yet. And I said, no, I played a few events, but I, nothing to, to write home about, no caches. I said, but I have a good feeling about the shootout. And you said, good luck. And sure enough, and you shook my hand. And I swear, man, that's the only <laughs> reason I cashed in that tournament. I made it to day two. And got halfway through my table on day two as well. So I give you full credit for that. I'll take it, man. I'll take it. Congratulations <laughs> on that. Yeah, okay. I appreciate it. It's nice to finally you know, break the ice. I had played, I think, seven or eight events with no caches. So uh, after a while, you start to think, am I not good at this anymore? You know, It's pretty sick. It's an 800-player field, and you got 11th place money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> also 79th place money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was... Uh, yeah, we were talking before we started recording here, and I decided, you know, we should talk about this, you know, on the podcast. Uh, yeah, what are your views on on shootouts? Have you ever played one? I did. I played it. Um, I don't remember what year it was now, but I played it once, the 1500 shootout. Um, my first table seemed pretty good. The only player I recognized was Adam Levy, a.k.a. Ruthless, was mm-hmm. on my right. Um, but I think he was one of the first players out. Um, and I was out, you know, not much long after him, but I originally thought that this would be a great tournament for me because of my sit and go background, you know, it's like, you know, I think I pretty much have the skill set for this. And I kind of went with that narrative for a long time, but then, um, I think it was Andrew or maybe somebody else I talked to recently that said, it's actually not a sit and go because there's no payout structure. It's a winner take all. And in that sense, it's more like a cash game which is like the complete opposite of my wheelhouse. Not only is cash itself the opposite of my wheelhouse, but it goes from full ring cash to six max cash to heads up cash, which I have to be, um, I don't think I've ever played heads up cash. So I will have to be a uh, massive fish out of water in that format. So I think in the future, I may not play this, uh, given that it's 
not actually a sit and go. It's more like a cash game that devolves into a heads up cash game. So it just may not be good for my skill set. I understand what you're saying. Now, for me, uh, as anyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows, I think all tournaments should be winner take all. Yeah. So I love the idea that all that matters is first place. I don't have to think about ICM, you know, because that's what, what's not my wheelhouse. I openly admit that I haven't studied ICM as much as I should have. And even when I do study it and learn about how I'm supposed to play, it's just impossible for me to change my mentality because yeah. I want to win. You know, I always yeah. want first. And, you know, the great thing about the shootout format is it rewards the go for it style of play that comes so naturally to me. So uh, I've played in four or five total shootouts in my whole career. So it's not like I'm a shootout expert or something like that. And this is the first time I ever cashed in one. So, uh, but yeah, I like the idea that you don't have to worry about the payout structure. I like ignoring all that ICM stuff and just going for broke. Now, uh, I want to get to your stuff, but I want to also, I know people wanted to hear a little bit about my my shootout. Yeah, so uh, day one, I got a pretty good table draw. Uh, There was one player at my table that I thought was really good. Um, there was a, a little guy, he was speaking French, so he could have been French or Belgian. But when I say little, this guy was probably like 110 pounds. Wow. Um, and a lot of French photographers or Belgian photographers were taking pictures of him. So he was obviously somebody. But, but I didn't know him. You know, like all these, uh, there's a lot of interest in how he was doing on day one of the 1500 shootout. Yeah. So he must be somebody, uh, <laughs> at least back in his country. Um, I ended up busting him. He had pocket kings. Uh, and, uh, well, he had raised, and I had three-bet him a couple of times already, and so this time I three-bet him again. He's on the cutoff. I'm on the button. I have ace-10. He's got, like, 20 big blinds or something, and I decided I was going to three-bet and go with it because he's got to be getting sick of me, and so I thought he might four-bet light shove, you know, just because he can't keep raise folding to me all day right. and this time of course he had the kings <laughs> and my ace 10 the flop was ace 10 10 <laughs> so, <Wow. laughs> so that's when i knew i had a chance <laughs> and that was pretty early on that first table um but once i got rid of him uh the rest of the table was pretty soft except for my eventual heads up opponent who was uh, a guy named alex from russia uh, i don't know if he's listening but alex you are so tough our heads up was, I think, the longest one. Uh, our tournament didn't end last, but we got heads up relatively early, and we <laughs> ended up playing heads up for almost four hours. It was three hours and 45 minutes of heads up. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, we played another couple of hours after the dinner break, and I was like, man, this is never going to end. Like, we were heads up already before the dinner break, and we come back after dinner, and we just kept, you know, going back and forth and back and forth. And he's one of these guys that, like, has an Apple Watch, so you have to touch your watch to see what time it is yeah and so if he had a close decision he always looked at his watch so i know he was trying to do some kind of gto randomization never good you know that's not a good <laughs> sign man because i you know i'm not that sharp and i don't know i mean so i'm like i just hope his watch tells him to do what i want him to do right now um, you know and to be fair uh I, I ran really good against him over the last eight or ten hands that we played where he had the chip lead and then I just couldn't lose, you know. Right. If I needed a four, I flopped a four. If I needed a jack, I flopped a jack. You know, honestly, heads up battles often turn out to be whoever's running better, you know, is gonna yeah. win. Yeah, yeah. Especially if it's not like a thousand hands or something. So so did it did you guys basically just get, you know, 
uh, ground down by the blinds or was there a big hand that kind of uh, caused the shift at the end? Yeah, I mean, we were pretty, you know, even in stacks for a long time. So we had, you know, 40 or 50 big blinds each for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, and the blind structure was really good. I mean, it was going up super slowly. So there was no, like, he had aces, I had kings, we got all in pre, nothing like that right. happened. But when things started moving my way, it was like I had like a queen eight and the flop came eight, eight deuce. And I checked and he bet and I called and I checked and he checked and I checked and then he bet the river and I raised him and he called because he finally made a pair yeah. and I'm capable of doing that without a pair, you know, and I you know, just keep turning over the nuts on the poor guy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, honestly, I don't know if I could have won the battle if I didn't have better cards because yeah. he's probably better at heads up than I am just based on the Apple watch alone. Yeah. 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 The, fact <laughs> you, the fact that you didn't show up with an Apple watch, you're already at a disadvantage. Yeah. Now there's other ways to randomize, yeah. but I, this is the one I see all these tough guys using. And I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in that world. You know, I don't pay a thousand dollars for a watch yeah. ever. So, um, yeah, so that was cool. And then, you know, I was real excited to play day two and I'm thinking, you know, all I have to do is win another table and then I'll be at the final table, my first WSOP final table. I got 15th in a tournament that had like 6,000 players once. I have a couple of, as everybody knows, a couple of deep runs in the main, but I've never actually played a final table at the WSOP. So yeah. I was excited to do that. And I was like, all I got to do is uh, beat whoever these, you know, eight, the seven scrubs <laughs> they're going to put me with. And so then the oh, night before. Oh, it wasn't even full table. No, yeah, it was like eight, eight players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so close. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be great because all I got to do is beat seven more players and I'm just going to get there. So I look and uh, in seat, I was going to be in seat seven and in seat six, no big deal. Just future Hall of Famer Joseph Chong <laughs> with his 15 million in lifetime caches. No big deal. Yeah. And then on my left, some guy from Colorado, and on his left, Sam Grafton. Yeah. So, uh, Not yeah. Not the best yeah. table draw. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seven people in your way just kind of feels like 70 now. <laughs> and you know what? We were talking a minute ago about this whole idea of the go-for-it style. Yeah. You know, Sam Grafton showed up with all the weapons. I mean, he was trying to win every pot from the beginning of the tournament. Now, I think he took it too far because he was taking chances that didn't make a lot of sense. But he won like five of the first six hands and just never slowed down. He was trying to win all the chips at once. And it kind of proved like that is not how he normally plays. I mean, he's not known for being nitty by any stretch, but he was trying to win the tournament on the first 10 hands. Right, right. He probably, well, we don't, know who the other players were but between out of the three of you he had the best position so maybe he decided like you know i'm gonna take advantage of that you know so um yeah sounds like it started out maybe working for him but kind of like you know hit a roadblock at some point yeah i mean well you know basically the eventual winner was uh johan and i, I apologize a shoemaker mm -hmm. he's from uh belgium and he's already got two bracelets they're going to play the final table today as we record this on Wednesday. So possibly he'll have his second bracelet of the fall slash summer. Now, did you know this ahead of time? What, well, actually, you know what? Day two table, you can actually do research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did all my research the night before, and that made it hard to go to sleep. I was like, because yeah. I, pl I played with Chong before, yeah. and he is no joke. I mean, right. he's a killer. He's 
I, I believe he'll end up in the Hall of Fame someday. He's one of the best players I've ever seen. Right. Um, and very much fearless. Right. You know, uh, I'm actually, I asked him, I ended up busting him out. And I, and I said, I, I apologize for the terrible timing because I just busted you out of the tournament. But would you do my podcast sometime? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but Joseph Chung doesn't care about $1,500. He's not crying about, you know, not making day three of this thing. So uh, he's very gracious. And he did. Uh, the listeners will be happy to know he's agreed to come on. We just have to figure out a time this quote unquote summer to uh, schedule that. You got to figure out the one day this year the, he's not playing. The, he's not playing three <laughs> events. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, as soon as he busted, he was saying he's going to jump into something else. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, these guys come here to to grind grind heavy. So, but if I can catch him on a on a day off or or a day when he busts out of something where he doesn't have anything else scheduled. I believe we can make that happen. I'd say there's about a 50% chance this ends up happening, which uh, to me, you know, that would be quite a treat because I, I just respect his game so much. And one thing I noticed, I played with him at two other tables before in my career, and in both of those tables, he had position on me and was extremely loose and extremely aggressive. At this table, maybe because he has me and Sam on his left, he was really tight, especially early. I mean, he just, I couldn't believe how much he was staying out of it, even like giving me a walk one time in the blinds, which I did not expect yeah. at all because, you know, I just, I think that me being in position against him, he still has a, a huge advantage over me, yeah. <laughs> even out of position because he's just that good. But yeah, that was, I learned a lot just from watching how he approached it uh, and, you know, just waiting for the right spots. And then when he started getting short, of course, he had to take more chances because there's no there's no prize for second place at this table. You've got to get all those chips. And now this Belgian guy just busted Sam, and now he's doubled up early. And so, yeah, it's funny, though, because these are the two guys I was most afraid of, and the bust-outs went Sam and then Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was it, did the same guy bust them both? No, I busted Joseph. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Johan had busted, yeah. uh, so, busted so, Sam. So when you bust, so when the, those two guys are out, are you kind of like thinking like, okay, now it's like my chance? And Yeah, I mean, I was. You bracelet with it. I was, but yeah, I mean, I had by then I had identified um, Johan as being a, obviously really skillful player. Right. And um, there was also um, a guy from Brazil that – ended up heads up with Johan to see which of the two of them would make the final table. Yeah. And they had an eternal heads up battle last night yeah. um, that Johan eventually prevailed in. But yeah, like other than that, um, the rest of my table, I felt uh, based on Hendon Mob and just watching them play and listening to the things they were saying uh, were actually amateurs. Yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, that's a good sign that, you know, four out of eight players on a day two of a shootout had won their day one table they were amateurs right so that to me i i don't know am i supposed to say rex or amateur i don't know i don't mean to offend anyone but i just mean like these guys don't play full time you can tell right right yeah that's actually surprising given that of course each one of them just beat a table for yeah. players so you think you you know the cream will, cry, will uh, rise to the top but um yeah, sometimes you do get a few amateurs. I'm just surprised there were that many. Yeah, half of the my day two. So half of it was really tough, and the other half I felt like I had a, a distinct skill edge right. over. Like, for example, uh, the seat to my left between me and Sam mm -hmm. was actually uh, unoccupied for about the first half hour of day two. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, who is this guy? I Googled yeah. him. He has no results. He's from Colorado. 
We have no no information about this guy at all, and he's the one who's late. Yeah, you know, you expect the amateurs to come like two hours early <laughs> yeah. and sit yeah. there and like you know try to get ready, right? And he he comes in, and all I smell is marijuana. Oh my god! Right on brand, you, you know. know you, you <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the stoner dude's half an hour late, and he smells like he's been smoking all morning. Um, you know, so that was <laughs> that was kind of one of the highlights for me. I was like giggling to myself. I was yeah. like, "All right, so you're not breaking any of the stereotypes I had in mind about Colorado." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you know, it was fun. I, I went for broke. By the time I busted Joseph Chung, I had an average stack with uh, five players left. No, right. six six players left, including me. So uh, I was right in the mix, and you know, I I made what I think was a a really good three barrel bluff against the Brazilian guy. And I mean, he had a bluff catcher that I think almost none of us would have called yeah. holding, but he found the call button and uh, he just got to hand it to him. He got half my stack there. And now I have half an average stack all of a sudden and I could never get back into contention. Really. Um, I, I intend to go over that hand in graphic detail on a future episode, but first, for this episode, I want to hear what you've been up to and what you've been playing. That's my quick recap of my shootout, yeah. which is really the highlight so far of my summer. Um, of course, you know, I always save all my run good for the main event. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> smart, smart. Yeah. yeah, so why spend it all on a $1,500 shootout with the first prize is only $200,000? Yeah. Know? I mean, I'm trying for millions. Only, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> So as far as what I've been doing today, I've been, uh, and I screwed this up, but I've been planning this joke all day. I was going to, uh, when we started the podcast, I was going to interrupt you and say that, uh, uh, hey, so, oh, I forgot Clayton, something came up. I'm going to have to cancel all you last minute. <laughs> <laughs> but I completely whiffed that joke. <laughs> well, it still made me laugh, even after the fact. Yeah, I mean, two weeks in a row, I have interviews scheduled with poker players, and they just flake on me. So I was like, I know Carlos will be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and then I thought about that. So last night, um, I was picking up my buddy from the airport when you text me. And immediately after getting back in, you know, we went to sleep and then we went for a walk this morning and then I came back and I saw my phone and I saw the text from you and I was like, oh, Clayton's going to think that I stood him up too <laughs> because he texted me last night and I didn't respond until late this morning. No, no, no. To be clear, standing somebody up means you have an appointment. Oh, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. I mean, you could just blow me off. That's yeah. different. I'm used yeah. to that. Yeah. But when you say you're going to be there, just be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that That's not good, guys. Make sure you you know, uh, stick to your appointments. Yeah, I mean, my time is valuable too, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Besides that, well, I initially wanted to play the shootout and I was I planned to play it, but I got a last-minute uh, uh, request to um, finish up part two of a, of a review that I did for PokerCoaching.com of my um, bracelet win from this from. The real summer of uh, a couple right. of months ago, um, with um, um, Bert Stevens, whose screen name is Garaf Granger. Yeah, Garaf Granger. Yeah, we know him. He's a he's a killer. Yeah, I just don't know how to pronounce that screen. I'm not uh. sure. Sometimes I say giraffe, then I I say Garaf, but um, you pretty much know if you, if you know anything about um, 
online high stakes poker over the past decade. You know who this guy is. So, um, so tell us about that video. Are you guys going over your hands together? Yes. So he heard me on a podcast, maybe this one, and um, kind of like you know, and like my story. And so he offered to review the um, bracelet win with me um, for PokerCoaching.com, Jonathan Little site. And we did part one um, a couple a couple weeks ago, and um, I say in Vegas as if I'm. I did it in Vegas. I left Vegas and I came back. And in my mind, feels like I did it in two separate places. Well, the first time we did it, I was parked in the IKEA parking lot doing it from my car. In Vegas. In Vegas. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um, and then I went to substitute in Portland, and then I came back to Vegas, and now. We did it from a hotel room, and in my mind, it feels like two completely different places. But yeah, um, we're just going over all the hands, and he's um, telling me the things I did correctly, the things I did incorrectly, and he's really pointed out some pretty big leaks in my game that I didn't realize I, I had. Oh, you got to give me one. Like, what have you? What have you learned from him? The biggest thing I learned was I do too much. Um, I, I try to induce bluffs from aggressive players too often. And the reason this is a mistake is because I generally play on ignition where the aggressive players are maniacs. Right. They're like always aggressive. So inducing aggression from those guys are great. But one thing I saw in this bracelet event is that uh, the aggressive players I'm playing against here aren't maniacs. They're They're using selective aggression so when i take a line that basically uh screams that hey i have a bluff catcher uh good aggressive players aren't going to bluff at that point where the maniacs that i'm used to playing against are right so your little tricks from ignition didn't work at the at the in the bracelet event yeah i can't induce these people to um to um i can't induce them to um bluff in spots where I clearly have a uh, bluff catcher like I can on ignition. So one thing that he pointed out to me, I would take a line where I would bet, so maybe I open big blind defense, I would bet the flop, they would call, and then the turn, uh, I hit like a pair on the turn, but it's basically a bluff catcher. And what I'll do often on, on ignition is check back the turn so that the guy will lead into me on the river. But what he pointed out to me is you open and say we got like a nine high board. This is one of the hands we discussed. The guy defended, he called my C-bet on a nine high board. The turn's a 10. I actually hit the 10. And instead of betting it again, I checked back so he can bluff on the river. But what he pointed out to me is if you bet this flop and he calls, he probably has a pair. And when you check back the turn, you probably have, uh, you know, a give up like you got a Broadway hand like maybe ace high you're gonna try to show down or something now so he doesn't need to turn his pair into a bluff and so uh, every time I took that line hoping that the guy would like you know turn bottom pair into a bluff they never did where my other opponents on ignition would and I was like oh you're right so I really can't um you know take these obvious lines with bluff catchers and expect my opponents to turn small pairs into bluffs. So I think I got to be more aggressive in that spot. Just uh, bet, go ahead and bet that turn. And if I 
put more aggression into my game into my game overall um I'm more likely to get those uh, thin bluff catches with the lighter calls, right? Yeah, yeah as okay. opposed to trying to induce this guy to turn that into a bluff, just because I've seen him be aggressive in other hands when he was the pre-flop aggressor. There's a difference between, you know, this guy views me as a nit, and um, uh, him being aggressive towards me when I clearly have a bluff catcher uh, is kind of out of line, but when he's like raising, he's bet, bet, betting, or maybe he's three betting. When he's like the aggressor already, yeah, he's going to be more aggressive in those lines, but not when he defends the big blind. Because he's he has a, a capped range, right? Because he's supposed to be three betting his best hands pre-flop. Right. And since he just called from the big blind, but now that he calls you on the flop, okay, this is making a lot of sense to me. I like this a lot because basically the mistake that you're making, if I can summarize is that you are in trying to induce bluffs from players who don't have incentive to bluff that much. Exactly. I'm trying to induce bluffs from players who don't have incentive to bluff that much, but also won't over bluff. And the reason I'm doing that is because generally the aggressive players I play against do over bluff. Right. They bluff with hands that, you know, they, they start off, I'm playing the polarized betting range. They're playing the bluff catching range. And then when I kind of like, you know, check at some point to try to reverse roles, they always take the bait. But uh, these guys know that, you know, the composition of my range still has, uh, once I check, I'm, I am going to have a decent amount uh, of uh, air there. So they don't need to turn, like, you know, their pairs into bluffs uh, like the over-aggressive players would. So, um, yeah, that's one of the big things he pointed out to me. And I mean, it, that it sounds like a game changer, right? It does. It does. It 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 jives really well with a lot of the theory stuff I've been learning. It's like, it, it just kind of, the more of this stuff you learn, you realize that when you first gather all these pieces, they're all over the place. But then when you understand what the box looks like and you can then start taking those pieces and kind of putting them exactly where they go, oh, this is where that fits. It makes sense that if um, uh, the guy is playing a bluff catching range, there's no need for him to all of a sudden turn into a bluff just because I try to induce him to. And before I thought about it in those terms, I was basically just clicking buttons and playing each hand, you know, on a hand-by-hand basis and not kind of seeing the forest for the trees. Even a street-by-street basis. Yeah. You, know, you know, I have an aggressive opponent. There's a difference between an unsophisticated, aggressive opponent on ignition right. who's basically like, he bluffs too much, so let me check to him so he'll bluff, right? Exactly. Uh, and... uh a selective aggressive opponent who's actually going to be able to range you and figure out what's going on and and he won't bluff unnecessarily. You know, I, I think most players, even good ones, don't turn their one pair hands into a bluff very often. So right. if his most likely holding is one pair, trying to get him to bluff is probably not a winning strategy because he's not going to do it that much, even if he's pretty good. Yeah. And I was sad about that. I thought for sure. <laughs> I thought for sure he would bluff the hand. If I'm remembering correctly, the player I was up against in this hand was Ryan Dodd, who's a really good player, and he was super aggressive uh, when I played with him. But he was mo- now. When I think back to it, he was mostly aggressive. Aggressive when he was opening. Yeah, he's opening. He's playing like the more polarized range, and like you know myself or some other opponent at the table is playing the bluff catching range, 
then he's going to like bet, bet, bet a lot. Yeah. But, I really like what you said a moment ago, Carlos, about taking all the different component parts and putting them together to see the big picture. Yeah. And I feel like that's really what all of us need to do. Like most of us, we can say like, I have holes in my game. This is one of my leaks. Like I tell you straight up, it's ICM for yeah. me. I make a lot of ICM mistakes. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get better at it, but it's not my strength yet. Right. It's something I need to work on. What I am good at is finding spots to bluff yeah, yeah. where I would normally value bet. I know what my value bets are. I can balance that with, with the bluffs. I'm, I'm good at picking spots that I can bluff because I, I am known for being aggressive. And if I bluff here, I'm also going to have enough value that I can get called the right amount and folded the right amount. So they have to be, as we like to say, indifferent right, right exactly i like to try to make my opponents as indifferent as possible so that they're guessing and so that i can profit in the long run because they're just guessing yeah yeah so in, in a nutshell one of the things he told me is uh do more betting and uh be uh do more betting and raise, raising and less checking and calling now that's like it's kind of a throwback to when I first started playing poker because that was obviously obviously the advice that most people get as they move from kind of a amateur status to a professional status is to ramp up the aggression. And I've done that, but um, I didn't realize that that was kind of creeping back into my game when I was kind of like like now it's creeping back in, but I thought I was doing it for the right reasons. Like now, I'm not checking out of fear or just natural passivity. I'm trying to induce aggression. But you can't do that in certain situations, even against an aggressive player, unless he's over-aggressive. So it's like in these spots where the guy's not over-aggressive, continue with your aggression. Uh, do uh, more betting and raising and less checking and calling is uh, the big thing I got from him. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it does show, uh, you know, obviously an elevation of your game. That it used to be, Carlos was like nitty and scared and didn't yeah. want to lose his money, so he didn't want to bet unless he knew he was good, right? Yeah. And now it's like you're checking for a better reason, but you're maybe uh, at least according to you know this guy Garof Ganger, whoever yeah. he is, yeah. <laughs> you're doing a little too much of that, and that's something you can still do if it makes more sense. But maybe just you know the default shouldn't be let's check to the aggressive opponent. But let's keep the if we've taken the lead in the hand already, maybe this is a spot to keep it going. Yeah, kind of like what you said about Joseph Chong, in your experience, he's an aggressive player, but he is good enough to have you know the ability to change gears at a table where he knows he has two other aggressive players on his left. He can now he doesn't have a style; he adapts to the situation. And that's what um, Graf is um, trying to teach me to do, is to uh, adapt to the situation when I'm up against good aggressive opponents. I can't play the same way I do against bad aggressive opponents. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, I hardly recognized Joseph Chung from hand number one. <laughs> it's like he knew who he was, who was playing against. He knew he had the worst seat at the table. You know, all the aggressive players on his left, all the amateurs on his right, and he just he said, forget this. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lock it down from hand number one, which really impressed me because in his shoes, I would have probably taken a few hands of getting like kicked in the head before I'd be like, maybe I should stop <laughs> trying to win this table like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's just his experience coming through. He knew he wasn't gonna be Joseph Chung 
yesterday. Right. So right. he had to be somebody else yesterday. Yeah. And just because something is your natural style, you still have to be able to knit it up. Like when I play in a satellite, once I get some chips, I stop playing. You know, I'm just, I'm, you know, lock it down. Yeah. Unless it's a real spot, you know. But yeah, my normal aggression is obviously designed for winner take all type of sit and goes. Uh, like we have here in the satellite room, like those are winner take all, and I, yeah. I do well in those. I like that that style. I'm uh, more aggressive, obviously, in bounty events. And uh, you know, one thing I figured out, I like these shootouts because it kind of fits my style. I want all the chips. So, do you play many cash games? I do. I do play cash games. Yeah. 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 So that that same style is kind of great for these shootouts events as well. So. Yeah. I mean, you never get all the chips in a cash game because guys keep going into their pockets. So. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's true. That's true. But yeah, it's a little bit you different. Can try. Yeah, you can definitely try, and sooner or later, maybe you get it all. All right. Well, do you have a hand either from your bracelet event or from the, one of the live events that you played, or any kind of hand at all that we can go through? I actually do have a hand. So before you came in, I was you know um, going over the um, recording that we did yesterday so I'll mute this so we don't get the audio but um, this is a hand um, um, against uh, this is a hand from part two of the uh, webinar that Giraffe and I did yesterday so so this is a uh, a bracelet event now I'll bet in your shoes it must be really fun to like go back and review hands that you played the day you won your World Series of Poker bracelet. To me, that would be like something I'd want to do anyway, just to reminisce about, you know, what a great day that was. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I kind of like, you know, uh, was not being um, self-aware. Um, I did this um, um, same thing with my coach, Ryan LaPlante, uh, where he reviewed, you know, going over the hands uh, review the hands from the bracelet with me and uh, I made the comment I was like man it's so fun like you know going like I'm reliving it it's like so <laughs> cool it's, I said it's so cool that we get to do this because he also did the same thing but what he pointed out to me is is not as fun when you don't win <laughs> to oh, relive it I like, that's right you didn't yeah win. yeah like, sorry and he, and he lost his in the <laughs> most brutal way yeah uh, I don't know if you know this hand and I'm not going to remember the details but he was three handed in the seven 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 seven, so right, uh, the big buy-in um, high roller this summer, and he was three-handed with um, what's the guy uh, David Peters. I don't remember the third guy, but obviously all crushers. Yeah, and there's this hand where Ryan um, has kings, and uh, David P. I think David jams and Ryan calls. Uh, with and uh, David has Jack Ten suited and Ryan oh. has Kings. Oh man! And he loses. Don't a tell massive me. Oh, no. All in hand. It's like it's not it's not good enough that David Peters is one of the best players in the world. Yeah. He also has he, to run like God. He's gonna get lucky Ryan too. Come stuff. on, man. Yeah, yeah. So Ryan probably enjoyed reviewing the hands of his tournament right up until that point. Yeah, it's not fun to remember that. <laughs> right. For me, you know, I, I remember, I mean, like, it's fun for me the whole way. But what's funny is I'll play a hand bad and I'll see myself playing a hand bad and I'll kind of get retilted. I, I get mostly tilted when I make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So I make a mistake and then I'm mad about it. And then I think, wait, I won this. Like, 
like, yeah, I made a mistake, but it turned out okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't worry. We know the ending to this story, exactly. so don't worry. It's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. so this is a hand where I made a potential mistake. Okay. So, um, so what was the buy-in for this again? Was it uh, 500? 888. So oh, this, this is the a, Crazy Eights, right? Okay, the online eights. Crazy Eights, and your opponents were uh, from New Jersey and Nevada. Yes. Right, on WSOP.com in the summertime. Yes. Of this year, 2021. Yes, the other summer. Right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> the real is, summer. This is the yeah. second summer. <laughs> All right, cool. So set us up here. What are we looking at? So at this point, I was 20 players left, and I'm in 11th place. And I have uh, around uh, around 25 big blinds, like 22 bigs. Um, okay. Actually, no. Um 27 bigs. 27 big blinds. Yeah. The blinds are 10,000, 20,000 with the 20,000 big blind ante that we are in the big blind. So we just paid all that. And we have 540,000 in our stack. So uh, the way I like to look at it, of course, because I'm old school, yeah. our M <laughs> is uh, about 11, right? Yes. Yes. So, Or you could say you have 27 big blinds, however you like to look at it. Uh, that's the situation. So we're not in great shape, and I'm actually surprised to hear that you're in the middle of the pack and that the average stack is only 20-some big blinds. So I guess that's how that tournament was structured. Yes. So the hand starts with cutoff opening. Um, he has me covered, I believe. Yeah. So cutoff has me slightly covered. I don't know this player. Um, I generally do color codes for everyone at the table that um, I have information on. So this was like, you know, a guy that I hadn't played much against. And also I didn't find much when I uh, searched his name. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of like readless here. So, so but, but when I don't recognize a player, I assume they're probably not good. Okay. So Okay. That's, I mean, that's usually the, the correct assumption, to be honest. So we are uh, at an eight-handed table in the big blind holding the six of clubs, five of clubs. So 6-5 suited and the cutoff unknown player who has us covered by about you know 20% or so uh, opens to just over the min raise. It's 10-20. He makes it 45. Um, I don't know. 6-5 suited. I'm not folding. Right. Um, you know, if we three bet, we're going to be pretty close to pot commitment. I don't see any reason not to just call and see a flop. Agreed. So that's what I decided to do. I call. And we get an okay flop, um, nine of diamonds, seven of diamonds, deuce of clubs. So I flop a gutter and a backdoor flush draw. But more importantly, uh, this board should uh, miss a lot of my uh, opponent's opening range. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's three relatively low cards, no picture cards, no ace. And so, yeah, this is a better flop for our range overall than it is for our opponents. But does he know that? <laughs> right. That's always the question. Now, I do think he still has range advantage on this board because he has all the overpairs I don't. But the equities run a lot closer on these sort of boards than, you know, some of the boards that are, like, more clearly um, in the opener's um, range. Yeah, of course. When he doesn't have aces, kings, queens, he could still have us beat with, I mean, we have six high, but, I mean, he can have a strong hand here if he has ace nine. I mean, he certainly would have opened ace nine from the cutoff. So it's not like he never hits this board, but I prefer to see those lower cards instead of those picture cards, just because 
you know, that's that's more in our wheelhouse than his overall. Right, right. I definitely have more two pair than this guy. Yeah. Um, sets. Honestly, what would I do with nines pre-flop here? I might, I might get not. So he's opening from the cutoff. Yeah, I'm three bet nines. Yeah, um, we're trying to get it in with nines. We have 27 big blinds. We're not yeah, trying to see a flop with exactly. nines. Exactly. So although I have the advantage in terms of two pair, um, he has the advantage in terms of sets and over pairs. Yeah, um, we do have deuces, right? I mean, we could have a set of Yes, deuces. yes. So I think we both have deuces. Maybe we both have sevens. Yeah, sevens is close. I don't know if I want to get 27 big blinds in with 20 players left. Yeah. With just pocket sevens, but nine's a little too strong, so yeah. that's right around the cutoff. So either way, so I have two of the sets, and he has three of them. Yeah, so a little yeah. bit of an advantage. There. I mean, usually nobody has a set anyway. So. True, true, true. <laughs> but we're talking range, the, the nut, the nut portion of the yeah, range, but, yeah, which is a small portion of it, and a lot of people forget that out of fear, they you you immediately think that you need know, see the monsters under the bed. Uh, that's not the case here. That generally is an indication of sizing. Uh, whoever has the nut advantage is usually allowed to use bigger sizing. But, you know, whether or not you bet or not is more so about range advantage. And I think the overall, or Andrew, as Andrew would say, equity advantage, the equities run close enough to where he has a slight advantage, but not a big advantage. Right. So he can't just see bet 100% of range on this board. Yeah. And when you say Andrew, you're talking, of course, about Andrew Brokus. And if you read his, uh, his books, Play Optimal Poker, Volume one and two, uh, he constantly talks about this exact situation: a late position open and a big blind call, and we're trying to figure out, you know, using solvers and you know whether we have a condensed range or a polarized range, and all of that. It, these are the kinds of hands that those books just hammer home because this is probably ninety percent of of poker is understanding. Who has the advantage, right? Yes, yes. Equity is definitely the driving um, factor. And knowing who has the equity advantage just gets you, it's like 80% of the job. <laughs> just yeah. understanding who has the advantage and what, you know, how your strategy should change based on that. Okay. So we're going to check here, right? I mean, we don't really have a leading range. No, not on this board. I, I think there's some boards that are similar to this one where maybe we do have a slight equity advantage. Like, for example, let's say that that um, Deuce was an eight or a six. Now, um, not only do I have more two pairs, I have more straights because he's probably not opening like uh, six, five off where mm -hmm. I'm definitely defending that. Um, so when all three cards are... I don't know if I want to use the word. I'm going to say medium. Okay. Because you don't want to go too small because if you're t thinking like five, four, three, now the board interacts with all the aces in his range. So he does have some straights on those sort of boards. But boards like seven, six, five, mm -hmm. that sort of board, the big blind could often have the range advantage if the opener's range is overly strong in terms of uh, Broadway hands and just generally hands that don't connect with I'm going to say the bigger small boards. Right, right. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't I know how you. to describe that. Yeah, medium, <laughs> yeah, medium yeah, boards. Yeah. So, but even in that case, Carlos, uh, are you making a big mistake if you literally never no. lead? Good question. No. Leading is, having a leading range is optimal there, but it earns you so little in equity that if you're not a supercomputer, for those of you listening to this who are not supercomputers, uh, you maybe want to just pass on that because 
if you do the if you try to implement this and you do it wrong, which I've done in the past, <laughs> uh, maybe on this podcast, um, you keep, you tend to do more harm than good. Got it. Um, so it's not worth it. And you know, Andrew has um, kind of given me permission to not try to play exactly like the solver because it's not possible. Right, and the solver is going to do it just enough to have that leading range with a perfect balance and everything else. But typically in heads up pots. If you're out of position, you can go ahead and check on the yes, flop, regardless. Just play, Just put the game on easy mode. Yeah. Why make it more difficult for yeah. yourself? Especially when you're not earning that much by doing so. Exactly. All right, so we check. I check to the guy, and he ends up betting uh, half pot here. Um, okay, the video is not going, but that's okay. I remember what happens. <laughs> okay, so uh, the pot is 120000 and our opponent's going to fire... 64. Uh, uh, 64K into 120K. And we've got a lot going on. We've got our uh, our, our gut shot, our backdoor, uh, backdoor club draw. Uh, so we've got some potential here. You could probably make some money raising, in my opinion. Yeah. The problem is you're going to have to lose your equity if he uh, three bets. Which is not a major problem because my equity isn't like amazing. That's yet. true. It's not yeah. that much to begin with. Yeah, it's it's just a gut shot with two unders to second pair in the backdoor flush draw, which and it's not like a big backdoor flush draw. So if I have to raise fold here, it's not a big deal. Um, discussing this with um, Giraffe, um, one of the things that he pointed out is that it's pretty much a must raise if the guy bets smaller. Yeah, but he kind of bets a size that really isn't a thing in GTO land on this board. Generally, you should be betting more like third, one third, or two thirds, somewhere in that ballpark. So when the guy goes half, in his mind, he tends to read uh, a little bit more strength into that, or he's like a little bit uncertain. Okay, um, so we're a little bit confused by the sizing, especially given stacks. Yeah, you know because now he's betting. About I don't know thirteen percent of our stack here yeah. on the flop. So, you know, th- then when you start thinking about raising, that you're going to end up putting in thirty percent of your stack. And I hate putting in thirty percent of my stack if I know I have to fold after doing that. I mean, yeah. even though we only have six high and whatever equity we have, what I'm looking to do here, if I raise, and I agree. Actually, I think that's a great point about the sizing. So if he makes it a third of the pot, like 40K, and then we can raise small to like 100K. And then if we pick up equity on the turn, like with a club or a pair, and then we can start, you know, getting more chips in and trying to, you know, bluff this guy out of the pot because we still have enough chips behind to actually do that. But because it's sizing what it is, if we raise and he calls, the pot is now too big. So even if we do pick up equity on the turn, it's going to be hard to get him to fold when he has something like, even middle pair, like A7, I think because he'll be getting better pot odds, right? Exactly, exactly. So his sizing has kind of like, you know, taken away some of my options. Yeah. But I do think my hand is still too good to fold, so okay. that leaves calling. All right, so we're going to call. I don't know. It's dubious to me calling here, but you're right. A lot of good cards can happen on the turn. Yeah. So let's see if one of them comes off. Yeah. So we call, and on the turn, we see a three. I believe it was the three of hearts. Okay, so this is a, a good card for us. because yeah, now we pick up the double gutter. We have two gut shots. Uh, we now have about 
a little less than twice the pot in our stack. The pot is now 248 and we have 432. Uh, our opponent still has almost 600. Uh, yeah, so do we do the old check call lead here? Uh, yeah, I feel like I want to lead this card. What do you think? What size? I mean, if I lead, I'm polarizing my range if I lead, right? So I would go bigger. I mean, maybe half my stack. And then you just have to call if he shoves. But he's not going to shove very often. Right, right. Um, that's actually what I did. I went for the lead here. But one of the things that um, Garaf pointed out to me is that this isn't a car that we can lead on in theory because this car is pretty much a blank. It doesn't change the equities like, you know, a car like a six or a five. Or Nothing even. actually got there. Right. Nothing right. actually got there. So he would have had to have already been there. Exactly. Or picked up like seven tray got there, right? Yeah, like we yeah. had some weird two pair from the big blind got there. But generally nothing got there. Yeah. Okay, that's a great point too. Yeah. So like um or even like a diamond. If a right. diamond hits. Yeah, so then the know, flush got that, there. That's yeah. another, you know, type of car we can lead on. But, you know, I'm from the um the Clayton Fletcher School of Street Poker. <laughs> and I also decided to um, lead here because I think although this card doesn't change the equities, um, what also doesn't change here is that my opponent still has tons of broadways and ace highs in his range that are air on this turn card. But they're beating us. Exactly. Yeah. And what also doesn't... Um, change is that I have more of the um, two pair, not only the two pair, but also like one pair of hands that would like some protection here. Like say a 7-5 um, a is a hand that I probably would hesitate to call a second barrel with. Um, and so, but it's still the best hand very often. So instead of going for what uh, you mentioned, the big bet, I actually went for around a third pot here, maybe even, uh, yeah, around a third pot, uh, more as a protection bet. Yeah, and I don't mind it because you still should be able to get some folds out of those, like, you know, unpaired hands, like king-queen or something. Like, right, they should right. fold when you lead a, a lot, even though they're getting, you know, almost five to one. And that's about what they need if if their outs are live, right? Exactly. But but how can they be sure that they're not drawing dead? Like you have a set of deuces, right? Right. Right. So it's probably a fine sizing, and it also gives you more wiggle room for the river. Yeah. So one thing that Garav pointed out to me, he said, "All that's fine if you are doing this as an exploit against an opponent who's not capable of attacking it." Because he says, "If you try this against me." I'm raising you with any two cards. Because nothing got there. Exactly, because you're not repping anything. But he's not raising me with any two cards because I bet big. So that's, that's another advantage point. of putting in the bigger bet. Like, he really can't raise me unless he wants to shove, which maybe he does, but sometimes he's going to be up against it, right? And right. I'm not folding. Right, right. That's a really good point. So maybe the bigger bet size does a better job of polarizing you to prevent, you know, good aggressive players from exploiting you and owning you <laughs> exactly exactly but I, but to my credit i will say this is not a line i would take against that player type if we go back to the beginning of this, of this conversation uh i mentioned that this was an opponent that i didn't know 
right? right. If I don't know their guy, I'm assuming that they are vulnerable in this spot. Another reason they're vulnerable, remember, I'm targeting all these Broadway hands and ace highs here. And the reason I can even target those is because this player makes the mistake, I'm assuming, of c-betting all those on this type type of board where he doesn't get to c-bet everything. He's supposed to have some checkbacks either as just straight up give ups or um, you know just some uh, occasional slow plays to kind of balance that out. But like on a nine seven deuce um, board with a, a two tone board, he can't just c-bet range, especially not you know uh, with that size he chose. So I'm kind of exploiting the fact that. His, I'm assuming he's over C betting, and that means he's got a lot of air in his range still on his turn. And I'm basically just targeting the air because I don't think he's good enough or aggressive enough to raise the air as a bluff. Right, but Giraffe is, but yes. luckily that's not our opponent in this hand, so that's why I do actually like your sizing yeah. overall. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a mistake. But yeah, one advantage to the bigger bet is you don't have to worry about an unknown opponent like having this skill that you didn't expect him to have or something. Yeah. So I think I think my line in this hand oh, by the way, villain folded to my to my small bet on the turn. So he probably just had like King Queen or something like that. Yeah. And that's those are the hands we're targeting, right? Exactly. I mean that's what we're trying to fold out with this little bet. But yeah, I mean the idea that I mean, I don't know, like if I'm in position here and I realize that that trade didn't really change anything and that Carlos only bet like actually less than one third of yeah. the pot, I might just say, you know what? I don't believe him. I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a danger against those player types, which I'm generally playing against that type of player. Sure. And I did a good job in this tournament, or at least in this hand, of using my old ignition tricks on a guy who's probably kind of like me, an ignition reg who's kind of like wandered into a WSOP event. <laughs> but if I try this against, uh, you know, an actual WSOP reg, like Ryan, Ryan Dodd is at the table on the button, and he would have, uh, I feel like he would have jammed on me in this spot. Yeah. And, but I would not have taken this line against him. Right. So I'm doing a good job, like Joseph Chong. Yeah. Of you know switching, changing gears, and I'm picking my spots based on your opponents and your seat at the table and your position in the tournament and all the millions of other factors that we have to consider. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, this is a good hand. I, yeah, yeah, I don't really see any mistakes. I like this little bet, especially given your logic of trying to fold out hands like king, queen, queen, jack, stuff, whatever he might have that has no pair, no draw, no nothing. Uh, I like it. You know, the check call lead. It's one of my favorite plays, actually. Yeah. But with an M of ten or eleven, it's not really a big part of my of my overall strategy. Just because you're starting to get too many chips in, and I hate to have to fold. Like if you make this bet and he does shove, now you have to fold two gut shots because you're priced out, right. which really hurts. Right. You got eight outs. Yeah. We think at least. I mean, maybe at least it, yeah. you might have a little bit less overall. Like you could have some of your outs might not be live. I guess, right. but I think they all will be most of the time. So what I'm thinking here, in hindsight, is that a better line in this hand is to check call turn. That way, I definitely realize my equity, um, um, and then also if I check call turn and a diamond hits, I can like lead jam. Yeah, you could. I mean, you, you can't check call every sizing on the turn, though. That's the problem. Some some turn bets are going to be too big. Like, if he pots it on the turn, you just have to fold. Right, but here's the thing. The other thing is that 
because this card doesn't change much of the equities, I wouldn't expect him to pot this um, on, or honestly, not. I wouldn't expect him to bet at all with this turn, with this, um, with a hand like King Queen on this turn card. So a lot of times what it what happens here is it goes check check and then I can bluff those hands same hands on the river, you know if they break out. Yeah, I mean if you think that most of his checkbacks are hands like king queen, you can bet every river. Yeah, and yeah. probably take it down a lot. Exactly. I think you know these player types tend to oversee bet on these sort of boards with those sort of hands, and they don't tend to double barrel often enough, especially on, like this three is not a scare card. When he bets the flop and I call, it feels like I have a 9-7 or a deuce. Uh, and this three is only an overcard to, you know, one out, you know a third of that range. So I don't expect him to barrel turn as a bluff very often unless he has a draw himself. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think if it the, – the hand just plays a lot more cleanly if turn goes check-check and then I can bluff river – or if he bets a, a small enough sizing, I can call, obviously, with my my eight outs. But additionally, I can rep the flush a lot better than he can if it comes in. So you can also count some of those as, like, bluff outs. So I think that gives me enough equity um, to uh, make a call on a turn as opposed to either choosing this size, which kind of opens me up to aggressive players like you, or doing your line, which is the bigger bet on the turn. Um, I think the only issue with that is what we started with is that it's not kind of in flow with theory because that turn card doesn't change. The doesn't equation. change anything. But but your line makes a lot of sense on a card that does, like right. a diamond or like a four or an eight, something yeah. like that. Man, I love talking poker with you. Yeah. I'm getting excited. Let's go downstairs and play some cards, man. <laughs> yeah, We're at like the Rio. There, it's all happening right now downstairs. Yeah, yeah, There's seniors down there, man. <laughs> yeah. Let's go play some seniors. I cannot wait to to uh, get into the senior events. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, so I've been railing my friends playing them, and I was trying to get some information for them. So I asked Kev Math a question about the senior event, and one of my followers on Twitter says, um, uh, aren't you um, – uh, a few years off before you can play that. <laughs> and I said, I responded with, uh, no, I aged 10 years in this uh, 30K downswing that I've been in in the past uh. couple of months. So I think, I think uh, you know, I've aged rapidly that although I'm not 50, I feel I feel like I'm 60 in poker years uh, since the bracelet, you know, has been kind of rough. Yeah. Listen, I know people that lost 30K on the flip and go. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so uh, yeah. it's yeah. all relative, yeah, you know what all, I mean? <laughs> it's all relative. And the cool thing about it is that now that I have a bigger bankroll, 30K sounds like a big number, but it's actually a small number of buy-ins. Because yeah. I'm playing bigger. You're playing bigger so, tournaments. So, yeah. you know, it's not really affecting my game much. Uh, but just as a joke, yeah, I said I aged Yeah, years. yeah, that's great. Uh, I just Any excuse to get me in a senior. I event, know. Right? Yeah, poker players <laughs> be the only ones like, making fake IDs to say they're older than they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, before we go, um, are you are you doing coaching? Uh, what's going on with you? Where can people find you and, and your, your work? Man, you have gotten so – you have improved more at poker than anybody <laughs> – I know, and I know that it started with TPE, and uh, you know, obviously you do your thing with Andrew Brokus and everything. But man, I just, 
I'm so proud of you. I can't even tell you how proud of you I am. Thank you, man. I also want to give a shout out GTO Check, which is a piece of software. It's a solver. Is that of, Dominic's thing? No, that's something no, else. No, that's DTO. DTO. Yeah, okay, but, right. but DTO as well. Like These are things I've used to kind of like see that big picture box I was talking about. Mm. And now I know how to like you know, plug in all these things Andrew's been teaching me over the past decade. Like I can see it all now. So it's starting to make more sense to me. I got to like, re- you know, refresh my memory on all that stuff because I learn it, but I don't really get to use it until this time of year. Um, because you're always bum hunting. I'm always bum hunting. <laughs> and, and, and the beauty is there's like the one K tournaments on ignition are full of bombs, <laughs> which is amazing. And it makes me wonder, like, why the hell am I wasting my time playing against like trying to beat people that know what they're doing? These guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that. But, but before I get into the plugs, I want to give a shout out to your friend, my acquaintance, and hopefully my future friend, Jeff Platt, on his deep run in the uh, double stack event. I was able to rail him. Um, he played great. He, he, he did. did. His fourth place finish. And the, the I was really impressed with, so he's sitting at the table. He busts in a spot where he gets unlucky. And, uh, you know, within the next 10 minutes, he's like sideline reporting for the tournament. He just busted. So super professional. Get a chance to see all that broadcasting stuff from behind the scenes was really cool. And, like, you know, he and I met online during my bracelet event because um, he did a commentary for the, uh, you know, leading up to it. But this was my first time meeting him in person. So that that was really fun to see him and his family was there railing him. So Uh, some things never change. Carlos has always been a poker fan and someone that can can really get a lot of joy out of watching somebody play and and rooting. You know, I mean, when I was deep in the main and you were there, it just... I don't, I don't know why, but it just it means so much, you know, yeah. and just having people like because it's such a solo project, like feeling <laughs> like people are on your side, man. It's just it's really great. Yeah. And Jeff's such an easy guy to root for, man. So I was really, uh, you know, I was bummed for him that he didn't win the tournament, but I was pretty happy that he got a, You know, he got a, a nice um, amount of um, puppy child money for Buddy there. Yeah, no doubt about <laughs> it. I mean, you know, my mother is retired from poker, as you know, and she. She loves Jeff Platt. Like yeah. she, he's like such a prom date. Like the guy you <laughs> yeah. can bring home to mom. You know, I, everybody loves Jeff, and it's great to see good people do big things. You he know? even dressed the pro, the part of a prom date, even in the, in the bracelet <laughs> events. He's got his nice blazer and he everything. Always, yeah, <laughs> always classy. Yeah. So yeah. shout out to Jeff Platt. And now let people know where they can find you. Okay, so um, um, primarily you can find me on Twitter pretty much all day, every day. <laughs> um, my handle is Hip Hop 101 Trivia. If you go to my um, bio or profile page on Twitter, you can uh, find all my links for coaching and all the products and stuff I have. Uh, there's going to be an upcoming TPE uh, video series where Andrew Brokus reviewing my bracelet event run the same way that Giraffe just did. I did the same thing uh, with Ryan LaPlante for Learn Pro Poker. And then probably, I'm guessing, around the top of the year, um, myself and uh, uh, another um, TPE pro um, and friend, Alex Fitzgerald, are going to, um, we're going to create a product where we take the advice from those three coaches who reviewed my um, tournament and basically kind of consolidate it. So you can see like, oh, in this 6-5 hand where Carlos screwed it up by leading turn in a, on a card that doesn't like imp- uh, change the equities, 
what are Giraffe's thoughts on this spot and Andrew's thought on this spot and also Ryan's thought and then also Alex. So you can kind of like, I'm just going to pit all the coaches against each other and like have a death match and see who comes out on top. I love it. You know, there was a book <laughs> years ago called Winning Poker Tournaments One Hand at a Time. Yes. Where it was. Uh, yeah, no, this, no that was, that was, reveal. yeah, that was a different book. But this book was pr- probably around that same time though as Gus yeah. wrote his book where it was online players, John Turner, uh, Ape Styles, yeah. maybe, I forget, who. I think there were three, and the third may actually have been the aforementioned Ruthless, Adam yeah. Levy. I'm not sure though, don't quote me on that. But anyway, it was like three of the you know original OG, like online killers, Pearl Jammer, like these guys that like all of us were like, Hated to see at our table on party poker circa 2003. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. talking back in the day. Well, they did the same thing. Like, here's a hand, and each player explained uh, what he would do and why. Right. And so, like, they would differ sometimes, but you would get the, the different perspectives of three different players who had three different approaches to the game. And I found that book immensely helpful. And having people analyze your hands, I mean, if you weren't a narcissist before, <laughs> having three of the best in the game, Andrew, Ryan, <laughs> you're, I mean, all these oh, guys. <laughs> and Alex, and Alex yeah. I mean, everybody's going to be talking about you and everything you did. I mean, this has got to be great uh, for the ego. It's like, let's all review once again how I got my bracelet. <laughs> yeah, as, as, as a fan of poker and yes. a fan of these guys, that's a big deal for me. And also, this will be one of the um, few... Um, products I've done where I was not the expert. Like right. I feel good coming into this as a student because I am a student at heart. Of course. And you know, having all these guys like you know tell me what I need to do. Like that's how I got this far. Uh, these guys um, are the ones who basically gave me the tools that helped me win the bracelet in the first place. So to kind of have them. Like, you know, they've already fixed the leak. Now they just got to come in with some cock and like, you know, like, you know, they're just fixing the like, they're like tweaking. Like if you think about a mechanic, like they put the engine in, but then maybe something wasn't right. They got to come in and twist it a little bit. So that part, I'm looking forward to them just solidifying my game even more. And then hell, maybe I win another bracelet and we can do it again. I'll tell you something. One thing you and Jeff Platt have in common. You guys are both really easy to root for. Yeah. And I'm rooting for you all day, every day, man. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I appreciate that, man. I didn't stand you up or anything. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, that's not three (laughs) weeks in a row that somebody just dissed me. (laughs) So thanks for breaking that streak. Yeah, yeah. So you know you can always, you know, Clayton and TPE Nation, you can always depend on Carlos. Absolutely. Well, for Carlos Welch and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge. I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.